Welcome, you're listening to Break the Cycles. My name is Yun. And it's your boy Sal. We're motorcycle enthusiasts, sharing with you our experiences on the road, stories of our motorcycle travels, and the lessons we've learned along the way. Welcome to Break the Cycles. My name is Jan, and I'm joined by my co-host Farida, and today we are speaking with Jonathan Thrope, a local motorcyclist who is also a very accomplished professional photographer. He shoots full-time nationally and local to his home in Washington, D.C. He is currently a Tamron Image Master, Westcott Top Pro, and Whole Fast Gear Ambassador, and is represented by Wonderful Machines in Philadelphia. Jonathan also teaches photography and presents lectures on photography around the world. Now, my first question for you, of course, is how long have you been riding motorcycles and how did you get into motorcycling? Sure. So I I don't, I guess you could say I kind of grew up around them in a sense. Like shortly after I was born, my dad had a Triumph motorcycle and he had built that. Um, I grew up around a lot of cars. Like we grew up building uh, Volkswagens. And we had a Ford Model T for a little while. Oh, wow. That's cool. Um, so I was always kind of around machines, uh, but I was never super interested in the car thing. Um, so, so motorcycles, as I got a little older, well, I started, I started with Vespas, like the old vintage, like 1970s mm-hmm. Vespas. And I found one in a barn somewhere. And I was, I always wanted one. I always thought they were so cool and brought it home that was like my first project so i I also build motorcycles that's like the hobby side of of riding i've been riding now for i want to say seven or eight years um and building for i'd say five of those years um and over that time i think i've built five or six bikes from kind of the ground up um starting with the vespa and that was a really good introduction into how the motors kind of work and it was simple and you know, it was just drum brakes and it was easy to deal with. And then and I, I realized that I'm way too big to be on a Vespa. And <laughs> how tall are you? I'm six, four. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Wow. So, and I thought I was tall. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I had bought a Vespa. I got the Vespa and I was like, man, this is really slow. And I ended up putting in like a big motor in it. It was like a 300 CC engine into a, a bike that can only carry a 125. And I remember just flying down the highway on a bike that weighs 190 pounds going 90 miles an hour on a 10 inch wheel like, the first pebble i hit it's, i'm cooked like i'm done and i'm all tucked down i'm flying down the highway and this engine is screaming and this truck drives past me this mac truck and just blows me like three lanes over i was like oh, i gotta get a motorcycle this isn't <laughs> I, I can't do this this is this, i weigh more than the bike like that's not a good situation i'm surprised you didn't crash when the truck passed you by Seriously, it was like a paper airplane in a breeze. Oh my god, yeah. Um, We're then, saving crashes for later, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he has a good one, trust me. Oh, I got a great one. Um, and then later, I got my first bike that I bought was a Honda CM four hundred and fifty. It was a nineteen eighty two four hundred and fifty. I bought it off Craigslist, sight unseen. Uh, and when I got to my house, I was so excited about it. I'm sitting there looking the bike over. And I'm looking at the handles, and I see like, I see the front brake. But there's no clutch. There's no clutch lever there. I'm like, where's the clutch lever? That's weird. Like, why isn't there a clutch? And it turns out the bike was one of the rarest Hondas that was actually automatic. And there was no clutch. I'm like, well, what the hell did I just buy? Like, I'm not even a real, it's not a real motorcycle. Like, I can't shift it? Like, are you kidding me? So it was just like a big scooter at that point. Um, 
but built that one. I redid it, made it into a little cool little cafe racer. I think I bought it for four hundred dollars, and I sold it for I think seven thousand dollars when I sold it. Like, Whoa! Wow. Yeah, and then I got into triumphs, and that's what I've been riding ever since. Has been some form of a triumph, like Thruxton. Oh, I'm currently on the Speed Twin that I I was the first one in the country to actually do a custom build on a Speed Twin uh, before anyone else had even had a chance to. I got Triumph is one of my photo clients, and I had a I got an early edition of the bike after my uh, accident. I was the first one to really dive into it and like completely redo the bike. Um, and I still have it. It's it's a 1200. It's under I have it under 400 pounds right now after I stripped all the weight, and it's sitting at 125 horsepower, I think whoa it's a beast it's real fast it'll pull a wheelie in fourth it's it's it's, it's a crazy bike but it's a lot of fun a lot of fun so that's that's pretty much the history of motorcycles and i love them they're so they're so cool it's it's a this is a scary area to live in on them in oh yeah opinion. for sure um with it being so transient people are always looking at gps they're just never looking at the people that are on the road and you know it is what it is so what, what kind of bike do you typically build they're usually classic uh, style stuff. Um, I really like the cafe racer look and scene. Um, so they're usually in that sense, they're they're a classic bike with your your typical metal tank and seat, but they're low in the front. So it's a it's a it's like a classic sport bike. That's that's like the style I've always liked. It's you know it's iconic, um, but th- those bikes often look kind of slow. So I wasn't make sure they still had that power and that grunt where I could you know. I could go toe to toe with the Jixer if I needed to. I mean, R one's gonna blow me away, but I could I could hang with the Jixer for about fifty yards before that thing's gonna take off. And, the seven fifty or like the thousand? Seven fifty, of course. Thousand, <laughs> I, ain't having it. I, can hang, I can hang with the seven fifty for about about fifty yards, and then that's gonna it's gonna drop a gear and be gone. Of course. Um, but they're usually like like a little bit more classic style to them. Um, but as soon as I get a bike, I strip everything off it that I can possibly strip off. So I just get it as light as possible. So from the factory, the the bike I'm on now, the Speed Twin, is like 470 pounds, I think, or 450, mm-hmm. and I have it sub three, sub 400 now. Wow. Um, a lot of carbon fiber, just wherever I can, wherever I can find weights, because I'm big. Like I need to, I'm like 215. Like I got to be able to strip as much weight as I can to, to hang. And that bike, when it's when you strip all the weight off of it and you just really open that motor up, it is just a beast. It is insane how much power the thing has. It's just low end grunt power. So you talk about power a lot. So do you ever race? Is that your thing? Do you do track days at all? I was going to do, I was going to get into racing before my accident. <laughs> <laughs> like I wanted to get into uh, what's called flat track racing, um, which if people don't know what that is, it's, it's round track on a dirt on dirt. And your bike doesn't really have brakes and you're kind of always in a drift the whole time. You go about 80 miles an hour around turns. And there's a, there's a track in, um, in Maryland that I'll go to every 4th of July. They have these bit, the, the, the Fritchie, Gloria Fritchie, I think classic. And it's a drift race and it's incredible to watch people who show up in like jeans and they're like 70 years old out there just flying around and just beating the pants off everybody. Um, but that was going to, I was going to get into that. I was going to start taking lessons and then I got my accident and that kind of nixed that whole idea. So yeah, but no, I've never done a track day before. I think I'm terrified of doing track days. Cause I think I'm a better rider than I am. And like, I know I'm like, yeah, I can, I can drop a knee and I've gotten real close to like a knee. Um, I have an app that will, it, it determines your lean angle. Mm. And I, the lowest I've gotten is like 32 degrees, which is really far over. 
but it's still you got like another 10 before you're like scraping a knee and i know i don't want to try it because i'm on a track like well, i don't care like there's no cars to hit me i can just do it and then i'll just lose my bike and it'll be gone but yeah i think a track day would be fun what about dirt do you ride dirt no dirt is terrifying i hate dirt really no dirt. yeah I thought that, no i don't want to get hurt in the woods like who's gonna carry me but there are dirt big? tracks so I've done dirt track before and oh, I, don't know, I like, yeah, it's very, I, I think it's a lot safer because uh, there are no cars. Yeah, dirt that's a good point. It's not as hard to stand. And sure. I, I was thinking like forgiving. adventure riding. Like that is. That yeah, I, I can see how your brain is always jumping to the most adventurous thing out there. Yeah, I know people who like <laughs> drag their bikes in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, what happens? You get a flat. Like, what are you going to do? Like, you're screwed. <laughs> like, what are you thinking? Gosh. But no, I think. I think a dirt track would be fun. That'd be that'd be cool. Like, I I could handle a jump. I think that'd be that'd be cool. <laughs> it depends but, on what bike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And how much yeah. suspension travel you got. <laughs> I'm gonna need a lot for my big ass flying over a ramp too. Like, right. I'm, I'm need <laughs> Some heavy yeah. duty springs. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. My goodness. I actually just finished building. Uh, well, not just finished. It's been a couple months. But I just finished building a uh, BMW, uh, 1978 R80. Oh, awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. I cafeed it, kind of. I turned it into like a scrambler-ish kind of. Is that the toaster tank on that too? No, like no. The, the boxier tank? Not, no? not the not the toaster tank. The toaster tank is the one with the the aluminum side looking. Yeah, I did yeah. one of those for my neighbor. There was like an R100, I think, or something it was. And it was a, it had like the, the toaster tank on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, this this is just the, uh, the, the five-gallon bigger tank. Gotcha. Yeah. Awesome. That's fun, yeah. man. Yeah. I love the BMW bikes. They're like they, they. I think they look kind of atrocious, but they're balanced like no other bike on the planet. Like that cylinder head hanging out the side makes a huge difference. It really does. Yeah, it's a. It it was a. It was an interesting learning experience to say the least. I mean, like all all their components are so not yeah. normal. <laughs> not easy to get. Either. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes. You're calling Germany. Like I need I need a spark plug or something. Like they yeah. have to get Germany. It's no, uh, true. yeah, it's it's an it's interesting. <laughs> it's very it's expensive. Process, though. It's it's fun yeah. to learn how things work, and like, I at least for me, I I like knowing that I tightened every bolt on that bike. Like I know everything on the bike is at the correct tightening, like the right everything, and that just makes me feel a little bit better when I'm flying down the road. Oh, I can it's, see the two of you getting along. That was Yun's thing. He every time he gets a bike. It's in pieces. And I'm like, I know you like building Legos, gotcha. but bikes, I'm not going to go on this. And then I I was always surprised, but it's so interesting that he was like, I don't trust anyone to work on my bike. I don't trust. Right. I only trust myself. Yeah. That's why I got into it. Because like, it's not like a car. You blow a tire in a car, you'll be fine. On a bike, you got like a very small room for air. Oh, yeah. And I don't give a shit how many engineers worked on my bike. I, mm-hmm. I, I need to work on my bike. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Put, put, like, put your life in your hands, not somebody else's. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Like Royal Enfield and like watching the, the bolts rattle off it within 20 minutes, you ride down the street. That's, that, that's what that's bike known for is like the bolts rattling off. Like, no, no, I'm good on that. <laughs> um, so when, when you ride, do you ride with all gears or what, what kind of gear do you ride with? That's a great question. Uh, I do now. I do wear full gear after my the accident I was in. Uh, before I was just a t-shirt and helmet guy. Like oh, I never wow. went as far as to be like 
shorts. I never would do that. I would always wear like Saint jeans. I was always wearing good riding jeans, um, and good in good boots and good shoes or whatever. But I was man, if it's like July, I'm trying to get this tan worked out. Like I, I I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll roll the sleeves up and just hit it. Like it's. But when I got in the accident, I was wearing full gear, and that literally did save my life 100%. Like, 100%. So now I am I wear full gear. and like <laughs> Even in the middle of July? Yeah, I got I got some goofy jacket that, like, is ventilated or something. Like, it's fine, but <laughs> it's just not cool. Like, We'll save the tan know. for the beach. <laughs> I don't go to the beach. And, like... <laughs> Neither do it's, I. It's a terrible tan anyway. It's like it's like you get the glove tan. So it's just like this area of your body that's like golden brown. Everything else is stark white. Um, but no, I uh, I got a bunch of different jackets and stuff. I try to wear the bare minimum. I'll be honest with you. As long as it's going to – whatever will keep me alive at minimum. Okay. I do have a nice leather jacket for winter. I have a really, really expensive, beautiful leather jacket that I wear in the winter. But in the, Riding in the leather jacket. Yeah, it's a normal, it's a Triumph, like, okay. $800 riding jacket with, like, spine <laughs> protection. I'm very happy night. to hear that. <laughs> yeah. um, but my summer jacket. Well, that ventilated stuff, it works. I yeah. crashed in one, and it saved me, so. I was wearing uh, one when I crashed, too, so it, it was okay. Oh. <laughs> my spine was still intact, so we're good. <laughs> yeah. We will save your crash story for the end, but I do want to ask you about, um, you live in DC and there are a lot of writers in DC. Are you any, like, are you a part of any writing groups? Do you normally write in a, like, do you prefer writing in groups or is this something, you know, the social part of writing? Tell me more, yeah. like, tell me a bit about that. So, and I, and I have a, a bit of a, I have an opinion on everything. And <laughs> I have a pretty uh, solid opinion of this area when it comes to writing. And that's because I have visited other areas and seen how those, scenes kind of work and play out and i always compare most motorcycle scenes to georgia savannah georgia that area atlanta all that because it's it's really like a, a true like culture there like they love it the community is very strong they support each other they um they encourage building they encourage everything so it's, it's a really really awesome scene and what I've always found around here, and I think this is just the DC area in general, because this also plays into my career because I see the same type of thing across the board, is like a lot of motorcycles are kind of just like a fashion accessory for a lot of people here. And they don't leave the city and they ride around and they don't, they, it's just like, check out the bike. And like, it has, they've had the bike for four years and it has 500 miles on it. Like, that's a big thing around here because this area just doesn't, it's, not, it's just not geared that way. Like people want it to be. But it's just, I don't think it's ever, and it's the same way in the art scene around here in photography. It's just, it's just not what this area does. This area does politics and that's just what this area is. And it's, it's a very difficult thing to transition out of it. And like any scene, you have people who really love what they, they love it and they want it to grow and they try to make it grow. And they just, you just keep hitting those speed bumps every time because you just, it just can't get there. And I kind of feel that's where DC sits. Um, now that's not to say that there's been several groups that I've ridden with over the years that are awesome and I've made friends and we're still friends, but it's like, I think once you label, you'll label yourself a group or something, there's an expectation that comes with that. Hmm. And if those expectations aren't met by the entirety of the group, then it, the whole thing kind of suffers. So 
what I have found is like not to, and there's a lot of like, I don't want to say classism, but it's like, oh, that guy rides a sport bike. I can't ride with him. Or that guy rides a Vespa. I can't, well, you can't ride with a Vespa because you just can't keep up. But there's <laughs> a lot of that. And I hate that. Like, who cares? We're all like, not to be morbid, we're all going to die the same way when some idiot hits into us. Like, who cares? Just support the fact that everyone is out there on two wheels riding and just have fun with it. Like, it's, it's not that big of a deal. But it's this high school kind of like, popularity club approach to it that always just bugs the crap out of me and it's like i thought i left that kind of stuff behind when i was younger but you just kind of don't like it's just it still like happens so i know that's not the best opinion of it but i think that's an accurate opinion of it at least i think jan would agree with you yeah i i would say that you just you can't i couldn't i couldn't say it better myself i mean like that's pretty accurate i mean here like you try to go out for like a decent ride you have to go out all the way to 81 it's like oh, yeah, two. You got two hours. You got to yeah. get two hours away. Two hours out, and then two hours back. That's four hours just going back and forth, and then yeah. whatever time you have left. It's a it's a garbage ride out there. It's not fun right. out there. Anyway. It's straight forever. Like right. it's not fun. It's not fun. Right. And, and then when you get out there with Lou Ray, there's a little bit of things to ride, yeah. and, and it's pretty good. But it's it's a hike to get out there. Yeah, and, and yeah. there's a, so many people are so they just don't want to do that, and I understand like that's not fun. Right, like you said, riding two hours out just to ride more and then ride two hours home. Right. Typically, it's going to be cold on the ride home. You're tired. You just don't want... The last thing you want to be doing is riding home after riding for four hours and then two hours. It's just... It's yep. Just, <laughs> and, you know, there's... there's and I, and I brought Savannah, Georgia, or Atlanta. Because when I was there, I, I went up to some of the motorcycle shops there and I, I introduced myself and they were just so accommodating. Like, you could, it was such a, a shift in, like... I don't, I, I, hate, I don't know how to explain it. Like that, that whole classism thing was gone. And like, I saw groups where it was like the dude on like the, the massive 750 scooter was riding with the guy on the R1. Like, and it was no big deal. Like it was cool. It was just, everyone's, let's just get everyone together and go get a beer and just hang out. And I just, you just, I just don't see that here. I really don't. It's a. Uh... My experience with groups here was a little different. And I wonder if that has to do with the whole girl rider guy thing. Cause I felt uh, the minute I got into riding, I, you know, just me being who I am, I kind of tapped into every motorcycle group in the DMV area. Right. Um, and I was welcomed. I was, uh, people were helping me ride, helping me fix my bike. And, mm -hmm. you know, I never felt judged that I wasn't, you know, I just a new rider that I had a major crash right when I was a new rider. And, right. you know, so I think I had a different experience, but um, I always wondered why Jan was always a solo rider. I mean, of course, he knows the groups and rides with them. But hearing yeah. you kind of say similar things um, makes me wonder if it's just um, it's an experience thing. And you, and you bring up a, a good point, and this is probably not going to go over super well. Uh, the female rider group, I think it's wonderful. I just I think that it, it just causes more separation than 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 it's, it's unnecessary. I think we're past the stage of like, girls can't ride bikes. I'm a Harley guy and whatever. At least in this area, I've never mm -hmm. noticed that being ever an issue. If anything, the second a girl says she rides a bike, every dude on the planet comes running to try to help <laughs> her build the stupid thing because every guy wants to like, you know, but there's never like a sense of, and I, I, I'm not a woman. I don't know, but yeah. I've never noticed there's ever an unsafe thing with the yeah. female riders in this area. I think all the men have been very welcoming and very cool about things. Absolutely. There's, a, there's a huge level of respect when a girl gets on a bike and even more so now 
it's so much more accepted that when I won't say you're the name of the group, but mm -hmm. when that when the female group when that happened, it immediately caused this really weird divide. Well, at least I thought so, because now mm -hmm. it's like guys can't come on our rides anymore. Well, if if guys were saying that about women, that's the exact same problem that started the female ride to begin with. Yep. Oh, I thought guys go on the, because I think we're talking about the same group. And I yeah. thought, yeah, but I thought guys ride with the group all the time. Yeah, there's sometimes, but there's also rides where we're not allowed to go. I'm sure like they, they won't be like, oh, you absolutely can't come. But I mean, it's pretty much like advertised in a way that it's not for for <laughs> guys to attend. Right. And that's, and that's, and it's, it's the same problem. It's the exact same issue that women had in the beginning. Like, why can we ride? Well, I guess women were coming from more of an unsafe thing where it felt like there was a threat from men on bikes. Mm -hmm. And back in seventies, eighties, nineties, probably nineties, there was a hundred percent of threat. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're far past that. Especially around here. Especially around here. Right. right? Yeah. I've never heard of an issue of a woman having a, an issue with a, a another biker around here ever like yeah i mean i've had uh really positive uh interactions totally. and people have really gone out of their way to help me and to assist me all the time totally and um, I, and i don't think it's coming from an area of like sexuality like they're not trying to sleep with you like they're it's being on a motorcycle and i think we all understand it it's terrifying yeah i don't care how long you've ridden it is a scary thing every time you get on the bike because it could be the last time you go out every single time you ride a bike and in this area i'll give it credit like there's a general understanding of that here and i think that's where it comes from that's why there's no real issue with male and female we all know equally that we might die because this area has terrible traffic and whatever so it's just mm -hmm. let's support each other in that sense and they take care of each other keep us on the road um but i don't i don't see i i've been around every guy in this area i've never been like yeah you know, chicks, they don't know how to ride. Like, I'm just, it just doesn't happen mm. here. And I've been in other markets where I don't see it there either. So it's almost like an antiquated view of motorcycling that's keeping it from getting over that plateau. Because I, I would love to ride with girls. And I think that's important to mix those worlds together as much as humanly possible to break down those stereotypes immediately. Because right. mm -hmm. we're past it. I mean, Sturgis is a shit show of people. <laughs> that's, the only, that's the only place this is happening at. Like, Sturgis is still the worst people on earth who go there, but everything else is fine. Like it's, I think it's fine, but again, I'm a dude. I don't see it from the female perspective. I just want there to be less restrictions between rides. Like we yep. should all ride together and just have fun. And that's it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I was reading your, your bio. How did you go from optometry to photography? <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a good story. Um, <laughs> So I started going to school for music. I'm a drummer and I wanted to run a production studio. And I realized really early on like that was a terrible career choice. Like there's no way I'm going to make it in music. That's just not going to happen. I randomly applied to the Pennsylvania School of Optometry. I was living in Philly at the time and got in. And I was like, oh, okay. And what it started off as is me just wanting to tell girls I was a doctor. Like that's the honest truth of why I wanted to <laughs> I thought that would be a surefire way. Like, hey, I'm a doctor. And girls would be like, yeah, that's awesome. That's stupid, <laughs> right? That's a terrible, that's a terrible reason to do it, but that's the truth. Um, got through it, graduate, you know, finished. I joined a practice. And when I joined the practice, I got a camera as a, a graduation present from my parents. Ran, like, long story short, I ended up getting published about a month later. 
and I quit my job and I pursued this ever since. And it's been, it's been 12 years now. Oh, wow. Um, Adidas was one of my first paying clients. They bought one of my photos for like 20 grand and turned it into a billboard on every uh, Dick's Sportingism in the country. And that was it off the races. And I just, all right, I'll do this now. And this is, this is cool. Um, and honestly, it's cool telling people, it was, it was cool telling girls you're a photographer too. Like that actually kind of worked out. <laughs> so it was a, it was an easy like transition into the whole, like trying to get approval from women. So it worked out. I mean, it's definitely more hip now. I mean, I don't know it's about cool. like 20, 20 years ago. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's really true. Like, you know, uh, I don't know. Cause like everyone's a photographer. So there's a bit of a stigma that comes with it. Like you say you're a photographer and I think automatically it's either like you're a wedding shooter or like there's some creepy dude in your basement trying to get girls naked. And like, <laughs> I've never been either one of those. So it's like, I'm a photographer. Look at my Instagram. Like, so you know that this is real. And that's how it usually works. Speaking but, of your Instagram, there is nothing about your motorcycle builds. Like I would have never known be. the build for it. What happened? I had to take it all off. My agent was like, your clients are confused about who you are and what you do. <laughs> so I had to go back and start deleting all that stuff off. But there was, oh. there was a ton of it on there. There was a ton. There was. I remember. I think yeah. I met you like a year and a half ago. Yeah. And I do remember seeing your bike there. And maybe your yeah. helmet's still there. I don't think I found it. The helmet that. shot is still there, I think. Okay, good. I think. I have the helmet like right next to me over here, too. Because my anniversary is coming up. Like, it is, right? Very soon. Yeah, very, very soon. It's like, is it? 22nd. Okay, I thought it was like two or three weeks or something. Okay. But yeah, my agent was like, you know, it's cool you like motorcycles, but your clients don't know what you're doing. You can put <laughs> in your stories, but don't put it in your feed. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Because um, I still do motorcycle f- photo work. I still work with Triumph, and I still work with um, uh, Ducati, and I work with some custom builders in my area too, mm-hmm. and like Bike Shed and uh, oh. all those builder sites. I do all the photos for those people too. I um, love Bike Shed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I visit their London uh, Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I had to I had to pull it all off because it was a confusing. I don't know, it's stupid, but <laughs> it made sense to them. I, it was all confusing, I guess. So, so every motorcyclist like likes to take photos of their bike as they go out and ride. So, when you go out on your ride, do you bring a camera? And if you do, what kind of camera do you bring? So yeah, I typically try to bring. I bring a couple different devices or cameras. I have made it a, a commitment to myself to try to not use my iPhone as a camera as much as possible. As a photographer, like I get like this is the tool, but like I want to, I want to feel like I'm still a photographer. Um, so there's three things I try to bring every time I shoot or every time I ride. Jesus, um, there's a camera. It's a, an M6 Mark II. Mm-hmm. It's a little pocket camera. It's good, good quality footage, good quality photos out of it. Um, then I also bring it what's called an Osmo Pocket, mm-hmm. uh, whatever it's called. It's a little stabilizer camera for video. Then I also bring my drone, and I have a little pocket drone that I keep. I keep all this underneath my seat in my bike. Oh wow! It all fits into a little pack that I can sit underneath my seat. I've hollowed out everything under my seat, so I have a, I have a tire pump that's underneath there. It's like an like an electric pump. All that stuff, phone chargers, uh, toolkit. I have a bunch of just a bunch of crap underneath my seat. This because my battery is like this big. Um, but those are those are the, the the choice stuff. And as for lenses, I try to find something that's wide angle that can still fit under the bike. Um, the little Osmo Pocket thing is actually really handy. I have a mount that sits um, 
on my tank that will point the camera out and give me like a nice wide angle view for riding shots and I can spin around and face me the whole time too. Nice. Um, and it's all stabilized, good 4K footage. And then the drone, you know, if I'm in a right, the right area, I can throw it up in the sky and it will follow me on the bike from a hundred feet up and you get those like really cool aerial shots. But you gotta be careful with the drone because it's not legal very. Yeah, no, yeah, everything is. So you have a DJI drone? Yeah, I have the um the pocket uh not the pocket what's it called the, the Mavic the, Mini. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. And I actually have a I have an FAA license to fly it commercially, and I have been fortunate enough to fly it in DC, which is insane because it's just the amount of red tape you got to jump through to fly that thing anywhere in the city is nuts. We we've done it before. I shot a project with Dr. Fauci, and we had to film drone with him. Hmm. You have to have, you have to like hire a police officer. Like they have to be there with you the whole time, and it's a while whole you're flying. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're next to you. Make sure you're not going to fly it on the White House or something. Wow. Um, but yeah, that little that little pocket drone, that little mini. Like I, I use that on commercial jobs all the time because the quality is great, and it literally packs up into like a pocket size uh, drone. And I just throw it in the bike and hit the road. That's impressive. Uh, to wrap up, this is completely your choice. If you want to share with us your crash story, sure. we would love to hear it. Yeah, I, I talk about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it was, it was a lot, it was a lot. And so April 22nd of 2019, I was, <laughs> for some reason, I'm sure you guys have been there. Dinosaur land, you know, dinosaur yep. land. Mm-hmm. I ride out to dinosaur land all the time. I like, not even just for the ride. I actually enjoy how stupid dinosaur land is. It is ridiculous. <laughs> it's a dumb tourist trap and I'm a sucker for those. So I rode out there and I was coming home around three or four o'clock. And I was on 66 right by where 495 splits and where the Metro Vienna Metro kind of starts where traffic always just gets nuts. Mm -hmm. And I just come to a stop on my bike and a car rear into me going about 50 and just plowed straight through me. Um, I was on my triumph Thruxton at the time, full custom build on this bike. It was so beautiful. Um, and the bike actually didn't get totaled, which was to this day still blows my mind. There's no swing arm damage, no frame damage, nothing. Because when I come to a stop, I put my bike into neutral. So when he hit me, the wheel actually rolled up the hood. And then I slammed me into the top of the hood, into the windshield. And I flew off about 80 feet from there. Wow. Um, so the bike, like, because there was a neutral, it just rolled up the car. So it was just kind of going up a ramp. So it didn't damage anything in the front. Had it been in gear... I don't know what would have happened. It would have destroyed the bike and it would have really, really destroyed me in a, in a real, real bad way. So I was thrown roughly 80 feet off. Um, another car on the other side of the highway saw it happen. They hopped the median and parked their car sideways in front of my body on the highway. So another car wouldn't run me over. And that's probably what really saved my life. Like hundred um, percent. I broke all my ribs. Uh, both lungs were collapsed. I lost my collarbone. I lost my shoulder blade. Those are all metal plates now. I have some rods in there that are kind of holding things together. Had some kidney damage, broke two fingers, bit through my lip, uh, massive concussion, obviously, broken nose, and I was dead for between three and four minutes. Holy so, moly. Yeah, the just the, the perfect storm of getting just a Honda Civic up your ass at 50 miles an hour, which is what it, what it was. Wow. Uh, he was texting, didn't see me, obviously some 24 year old kid. Oh God. Um, so it was, I was in the hospital for 17 days 
and it was it was difficult. Um, uh, I, I I went through a lot of survivor guilt, and if you don't know what that means necessarily, it's like you feel bad for living through an accident. Because I've had over the years of writing, I've probably known. I don't know, between three and five people that have died in accidents that were much less intense than what I went through. Mm-hmm. And that's immediately what kind of pops in your brain. Like, well, why did I, why didn't I die? Like, I should be the one who died. Like, this is insane. Like, I, I don't deserve to be here. Like, this is crazy. Um, but, you know, you get through that stuff. And, and I'm a big believer in turning anything like this into something, like turning it into some type of positive thing, becoming an example for, for some reason. Uh, so 17 days in the hospital, and then it was roughly four months of physical therapy almost every day for like two hours, and then I'd go home for another four hours and still do physical therapy. Like, I was going way too much. And Frida, you know Jesse. And oh, yeah. She was, <laughs> We've all been to Jesse to fix some was, body parts. so mad at me because I was doing too much. Like, he's like, you need to stop. I'm like, dude, I'm not, I can't stop. Like, I need yeah. to get back to work. Uh, I had lost like four. 35 or 40 pounds in the hospital that I didn't eat the entire time I was there. Mm-hmm. I was on so many painkillers, just doped out of my mind. Yeah. And I was just working like crazy. I had to learn how to like use my arm again. Like this, this would not move. Like it was like almost locked up and completely numb. So I had to use, learn how to use this all again. I'm still totally numb throughout here and that's never going to come back, but mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but like the good thing about all of this, if there is a good thing, uh, Virginia and writers in Virginia have been trying to pass a filtering law for years, yep. years and years, years, years. And what they're trying to pass is not necessarily being able to go between cars when traffic is moving, but more so when traffic is stopped, that we can pull up to the light and then pull away. Had I been sitting in the highway that day and had the ability to drive between the cars, I wouldn't have been hit by this car. And unfortunately in Virginia, it's automatic reckless driving ticket if you're caught doing that. So you're, you can either get hit by a car and be killed or your insurance and your reckless driving. I think it's a felony in Virginia. Like mm-hmm. your life is screwed either way. So it just doesn't make sense. So when it came time to do the hearing about the filtering change, I went to testify uh, mm-hmm. in Richmond about it. We're standing there in front of all these very important people and, you know, they bring up the bill or whatever. And they say, does anyone have any, want to say anything? And I stand up and take my shirt off and I go and I start showing my scars and I show them all the pictures. And I said, this is why, like, we don't know if we're going to make it home and until you make motorcycles totally illegal, you need to make them safer for us to operate. And it's that simple. People just don't look. And for the first time in about a decade, the, the vote tied to pass the filtering law. So they're expecting it to pass within the next year or so. And that will save a ton of lives. Absolutely. And it's good to know. I hate that I had to be the example to do it, but at least I can be the example to hopefully pass that law and mm-hmm. no one has to go through what I had to go through every again. Cause this is going to haunt me for life. Like mm-hmm. I've been writing, I haven't, I've done, I've ridden twice this year. I've been just busy with work, but I got back on the bike four months after the accident. And I'm telling you, like that was the most terrifying thing I've ever experienced. Like the first time I got on the bike, I threw up like straight up. I was just that nervous. And it's like, there's nothing I could have done in that accident necessarily. Well, I could have filtered, but it was I did nothing wrong. I was just sitting there and a car just destroyed me. And he actually got off on all of his charges. He was charged with falling too closely, but he sat there in court and said, no, no, I was, I was texting. I wasn't falling too closely at all. And he got off on all of his charges. So as far as the state of Virginia is concerned, 
he was not doing anything wrong. What? Blows my I mean, I took all of his money, but it blows my mind that he got off on those charges. And that's also an issue because a lot of police officers will write that ticket as following too closely as opposed to writing a ticket for not controlling your vehicle, which is what that ticket should have been. Right. And my brother's a police officer, and I've talked to several police officers, and it was like, yeah, that is what the state troopers do. For whatever reason, they say you're following too closely. It's an eat because they can't. It's not hard to, if they're not there, that's what they have to say. But if you're not controlling your vehicle and you're plowing into someone, that should be the charge. Um, but, you know, I got back on the bike and I've been riding fine ever since. And hopefully that law will change and that will become something to, to, to save people. And like the funny part about the whole story is there is a funny part. What's well, a weird part? I actually rebuilt the bike and oh, I wow. spent like the entirety of my like uh, recovery when I was at home building that bike. And I had to like learn how to hammer left-handed. I had to learn how to use tools <laughs> left-handed. And it would take me like, like no joke, like an hour and a half to just unscrew a bolt. Cause I had to like, I couldn't use my arm. I couldn't do anything, but I built that bike back up, got it started. It was fine. I rode it for about, I don't know, three months uh, after I rebuilt it. And then I was like, I, I, I need to get rid of this bike. I want to sell it. I want to get something new, whatever. Sold the bike to a guy who crashed it about a week after he bought it. I knew he was going to crash it. He was, he was, he was like hot dogging on a little bit. So I knew he was going to crash it, but he broke his collarbone too in the crash. Um, and then when the tow truck driver came to pick it up, it fell off the tow truck on the tow truck driver. He broke no. his collarbone. No. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. So the bike is now hopefully in the junkyard where it will not kill anyone ever again. Oh, wow. Um, it's like no. the James Dean curse where like all the parts in the James Dean car, like kill people, kill people when they got it. The way I look at it is that bike, had, you know, it played a part in saving my life in the accident. Um, and I think it was upset that I sold it. So then it started just taking out the aggression of everyone that came. <laughs> I was like, I spent like $35,000 on that bike building it. Like I was so deep into that bike and it was oh. so pretty and so fast and so much power. And it was awesome. And I think it was just sad that I sold it. So it just, whoever it came in touch with, those curtains for you. <laughs> But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a fun experience. I don't recommend getting hit by a car to anyone. Um, unless you, you need like a, a solid financial come up. That's the only reason to do it. But otherwise, not No, fun. I usually crash into guard guardrails. They're more fun. Those are the worst. <laughs> Man, I, I, after after hearing uh, Jonathan's story, I feel like Freedom might have a chance to ride again. Right? Thank you, Dion. <laughs> you, totally you and Tark made me sell Stop my it. bike and... Oh. Frida, how many you, times have you crashed? Only two, and I was riding for two years. <laughs> so it's like one a year, not bad. I'm still alive. You know, the injuries get worse every what? year. But, <laughs> man, I didn't have to rehab as much as you did. And then you what can't you? feel your shoulder. I had to retrain. Now I know how to use my hand. Still yeah. numb, but ignore that. Yeah, you, know, you get used to it. Time. You get used to the numbness. Yeah. And so... Oh, I want my bike back, Jan. <laughs> Go get it. <laughs> when we sold it, I was convinced the guy is going to crash on it. I was so scared. Yeah. Like When you said that now, that was my fear. But totally. he's put more miles on it than I ever did. Oh, wow. He's an amazing rider. And um, maybe it's just a sign that I need a new bike. <laughs> Don't tell Tarek I said that, please. <laughs> that only has a sign you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, were, you were showing us your shoulder? 
Oh yeah, so you can see one of my scars here. This is where the collarbone used to be. Oh wow. And I've never physically touched this. I'm afraid to touch this scar. Mm. Like I like washed it obviously like a rag of I, I will never like I can't bring myself to touch it. It's so it's such a weird fear of mine. Yeah. It's totally numb anyways, but like I can't like touch this scar. The one on the back, no big deal. That one's that one goes from the top down to like the middle of my back. That's yeah. okay, but for something about this one, I can't touch it with my skin. It just freaks me out. Oh wow. I think it's because I, I know that there's metal. It's just all metal there. And it just doesn't feel like bone anymore. Because it doesn't move like bone. Metal just doesn't move like that. So you have metal plates, not pins. No, this is a this is a giant rod there where the oh, bone yeah. used to be. Wow. And then my shoulder blade is one giant plate. Oh wow. Because yeah. it shattered like a like a like a dinner plate when I got hit. Um, what the doctor told me was for my shoulder blade to shatter the way it did was the equivalent of just standing in front of a cannon and just taking a cannonball to my chest or my, my, my shoulder. It was that oh. much impact. Um, and they had a math equation to, to determine how much power and much force it was. It was like 10 tons of force that just shattered it. It was an, an insane number. Um, and they told me like, you should be paralyzed. You shouldn't be alive. You should probably be dead. I'm like, this is not... This is no joke. Um, one of the first thing I did when I got to the hospital is I went and visited my my first responders. I found out who they were and I wanted to say thank you. And I went to the the firehouse and you would have thought they saw a ghost. Like, oh, they were like, you shouldn't be alive, man. Like, mm. you were dead. You were dead in that ambulance. Like, this is insane. Wow. Um, yeah, I called the guy that uh, found us, and uh, two weeks after I was in rehab, and he was like, "Are you gonna walk again?" Can you walk? Because he saw the dislocated. <laughs> I was like, wow, I didn't realize I looked that bad that day. Yeah, I think I might be walking one day. <laughs> yeah, dislocation stuff is gross, man. Ugh. Yeah, it oh, really wow. is. I'm Ooh. glad you visited them, though. Yeah, you know, they can't know anything about us. So unless we call them and or visit them and give them an update, by yeah, law, they can't get an update. They're so important. And, like, they had a huge hand in me staying alive. Like, I don't know what they did in the ambulance. Um, but they did something because I'm still alive. Uh, and, and yeah. And then during court, I went up to one of the witnesses. I was like, hey, man. They're like, he's like, oh, what car were you in? I'm like, I'm the guy that got hit. And they're like, bro, you, you shouldn't. What? <laughs> like, and there's a video of me getting hit. Like, there's footage of my body flying 80 feet off of a car hood that my lawyer will not let me see. And oh, I want to yeah. see it so bad because I think it's funny now. Cause I'm a large person. I'm just like, I picture me just like falling, like flying through like a cartoon character or something. But there's like, there's a traffic, there's like a, a Metro camera that caught oh, it. Wow. Oh, wow. They showed it in court, but I had to step out. They made me step out for that part. So, Well, <laughs> I'm glad you're here and I'm happy nice. to hear you're riding again with Absolutely. all the gear. Really yes, happy to hear gear. all the gear all the time. All yeah, it's all good. I do have one final question for you. Yeah. It's my own personal interest. Is what's one recommendation you would give a motorcyclist going out taking photos of their adventure? What's one advice you would give them? Uh, what's one advice? Uh, man, that's a really great question. Actually, <laughs> shooting shooting their ride. Like how to document the whole experience, essentially. Is that is that kind of like? Or like if you if you come to a stop, or if you if you get to a place, how do you how do, how do you frame your shot so that you know you get the best at best shot that you would like? If you were taking a photo of your adventure, 
because I don't think every, everybody has a f- camera, has an iPhone or whatnot they can snap photos with, but not everybody's going to have a drone and all that sure, other stuff. Sure, sure, but sure. yeah, I think I think it's important to approach those scenes and those photos as in thirds, meaning there's there's three aspects of the photo that's going to be important: yourself as a rider, the bike, and the location, and always making sure you're accommodating two thirds of those things, but never all, not necessarily all three at all times. So. If you pull up to an old, like, I don't know, uh, abandoned general store in some like podunk town, that's a cool shot. You know, think about it in layers. Like the important part, the reason you're taking that picture is because you're at this podunk uh, abandoned grocery, right? So make sure that that's the focus and have the bike almost be secondary to that. And then, so you're always kind of thinking about each photo you take it as what is, why am I taking this photo? Am I just taking a picture of my bike or do I want to show people where I'm at and, and tell this narrative of my ride. Um, so if, if you're always incorporating two of the three aspects of that rider, bike and location, you'll be able to come up with that narrative. Cause sometimes the, the narrative is just you and the bike or just you in that location. Um, but I don't necessarily think it has to be all three every time. I think the narrative will reveal itself as long as you're keeping those two aspects of each frame of that ride um, as opposed to all three. That's, that's very, very helpful. Thank you. Very, very helpful. Thank you so much. I never thought about that question before. That's good. And if that didn't help, they can take a class with Jonathan. Yeah. You can take a class with me. That's fine. (laughs) I might need to take some classes. (laughs) Just get get a good app on your phone. It'll be fine. But um, I thank you so much for uh, joining us today. We learned a lot today. And your your stories are absolutely amazing. Thank you. Very inspirational. That's That's what I'm trying to do. There's too much negative in the world, man. You got, you got. I got hit by a car. Like it doesn't get much worse than that. You got to laugh about it. You know. Yeah. Thank you, Jonathan. This was beautiful. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Thank you for listening to Break the Cycles. If you like what you hear, subscribe and join us next time on Break the Cycles.